Hi, good evening. It's Wednesday, the 25th of August, and it's 7 pm. My name's Sean Blore, and welcome to Resistance TV. Thanks for joining us. And whilst you're here, please hit the thumbs up button. And if you're new, please click on subscribe and hit that notification bell for future episodes. We'll be having a question and answer session at the end of tonight's presentation. So please pop your questions in the chat and Lizzie, our moderator, will pick them up for you. If you like what we're doing here, please drop us a donation at paypal.me forward slash festival of resistance. And this will help us to keep the channel going well into the future. Tonight, we're joined by Jonathan Cooper, who is the Resist Movements Coordinator for London. He'll be shining some light on how to organise for grassroots movements, whether you have a small community group or you're a union rep or shop steward, a housing association or a tenants union. We have a rich history of successful organising here in the UK, ranging from the historical efforts of the Chartists, the Suffragettes, the Matchwomen, the Grunwick Strike and many, many more throughout contemporary efforts such as the recent history of the Birmingham's home care workers, new organising and industrial action in the service sector, and the swift movement building of the Extinction Rebellion. Despite this, access to effective training and development in organising techniques is limited, where mass working in class institutions do provide education to their members and supporters. This education too frequently ignores peer-to-peer -peer organising techniques political context and the role of the vested interests that so often undermine our, our efforts. In the meantime, debates on progressive politics are too often focused on what we want or what we are against and too seldom focused on how we build the power to achieve our aspirations. Jonathan has been working with the Ella Baker School of Organising for some time now and tonight he's going to share some of their theories and techniques if you'd like to learn more, you can access further information on their website, www.ellabakerorganising.org.uk. So Jonathan uh, has asked me to ask you to make sure you've got a pen and paper ready. You might want to take some notes from this evening's broadcast, uh, or you might be able to watch it back again at a later date. Um, but for now, thank you for joining us, Jonathan, and we look forward to your presentation this evening. In this session tonight, we're going to explore some uh, theory to organising and, and what we're doing tonight is just an introduction by looking at some of the roots and some of the branches of, of the theory around community and workplace organising. While I do aim to introduce some concepts, it's probably true to say that almost everything in this presentation is contested by um, by committed organisers who have experience, who have been there, done that, done the, got the T-shirt to prove it, who would not agree with everything that's uh, with all the content. That, that's okay. Some of that content, some of that contention may come out during and after this session. If it does, it can only enhance our understanding of the issues. Do remember that this is an introduction and a way to push the boat out, so it isn't as comprehensive as Whittle like. So Saul Alinsky was an important and influential advocate of community organising, but he's been criticised both for his assertion that politics and organising don't mix when, when really they do. He was anti-ideology, you see, and because of his very limited focus on agency. His first project was in the 1930s when he worked with labour unions to organise in back-of-yards districts of Chicago. He wrote two books, The Revival for Radicals, probably his best book, and Rules for Radicals, which, while his most famous, not his best work, Interestingly, given the way that some people have turned his method into a rigid set of rules, he once said that one of the most important things in life is that ever gnawing in a doubt as to whether you're right. If you don't have that, if you think you've got an inside track to absolute truth, you become doctrinaire, humorless and intellectually constipated. He claimed that the job of the organiser is to manoeuvre and bait the establishments. It will publicly attack them as a dangerous enemy. The hysterical uh, instant reaction of the establishment will not only validate the organisers' credentials for competence, but also ensure automatic popular invitation. On many occasions, Alinsky himself managed to bait the establishment in a way that caused them to look foolish. However, the advent of PR consultants probably makes that tactic harder to pull off today. In retrospect, the Alinsky method has been criticised for using communities as stage armies, if you like, brought on for effect or to be pitied, but never actually placed in the driving seat of the campaign when actually modern organising requires 
that, that, that the workers and the community are put front and centre and they're trusted to make the right decision. Whatever criticisms there are of Alinsky, however, in his model, it has been a very influential, possibly too influential um, uh, blueprint, which is one reason we want to look at alternative sources of organising theory and practice. Now, the, the Flint sit-down strike, Alinsky uh, himself was inspired by both uh, the mob. He actually studied the sociology of gangs in Chicago for his PhD and by his mentor, John L. Lewis, a complex and controversial trade union leader. Traditionally, trade unions in the US have been, been craft-based. Attempts to build unity across trades in a particular industry had repeatedly failed. However, with the launch of the UAW, the United Auto Workers Union, this changed and led to the formation of the CIO, the Congress of the Industrial Organization. And uh, CIO is uh, one half of the main general workers union in the States. The way this became possible was through the sit-down strike. The 36-37 Flint sit-down strike against General Motors transformed the UAW from a collection, the United Auto Workers, from a collection of isolated local branches on the fringes of the industry into a major labor union. This led to the unionization of the, of the domestic United States automobile industry. The union won a 5% pay increase and recognition in a hostile environment. Membership went from from three from 30,000 to half a million members in just 12 months. The militancy of the American labor movement was a major player in organizing campaigns for social justice across America. Sparked by the arrest of Rosa Parks on the 1st of December 1955, the Montgomery bus boycott was a 13-month mass protest that ended with the, US, with the US Supreme Court ruling that segregation on public buses was not constitutional. Interestingly, one of the background figures on the bus boycott was E.D. Nixon, a leading civil rights activist and organizer of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, the union of the black staff who worked on the interstate sleeper trains. The Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters took what they learned for the union and gave their financial support, knowledge, strategies, tactics and work to these three civil rights events. The Montgomery Improvements Organization mobilized 40,000 bus boycotters in a matter of days. Now, the Montgomery bus boycott demonstrated the potential for nonviolent direct action and mass protest to successfully challenge racial segregation and served as an example for other southern campaigns that followed. The campaign was the spark that gave rise to the civil rights movement. Just as an aside, luck actually has a fair amount to do with uh, how successful these campaigns are. Montgomery Improvement Association could not reach the whole of the dispersed black community uh, by themselves. However, articles in the newspapers were read by white people who employed domestic servants. They then, uh, in, in their infinite wisdom, lectured their employees on why they should not join the bus boycott. Now, this was the first, first many of them actually heard about it and they made it their business to find out more. So luck has a lot to do with it. But these days, what I think we'll find is that uh, rather than give um, th these campaigns exposure, that the media of today just, um, just pretend it isn't happening and completely ignore it. Now, this brings us to Ella Baker herself. She was a veteran civil rights organizer and worked for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP, Martin Luther King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, pronounced SNCC. Ella Baker began her involvement with NAACP in 1940. She worked as a field secretary and then served as director, director of branches from 43 to 56, taking dangerous journeys across southern states determined to recruit organizers and build branches. She attended the famous Highlander School activist training and was involved in developing their training programs, including those that trained young people in the 1960s voter registration drives. In 57, she moved to Atlanta, Georgia to help organize Martin Luther King's new organization, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and helped expand its focus beyond buses to ending all forms of segregation, eventually um, ending up with the in, abolishing the uh, abolishing uh, segregation in the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Now, the uh, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC, was one of the most important organizations of the civil rights movement in the 60s, emerged from a student meeting organized by Ella Baker held at Shaw University in April 1960. Her main contribution to the style of organizing, she once said, 
is to shine a light and the people will find a way. And then undisguised criticism of the Messianic leadership of Martin Luther King, and arguably can be applied to the Messianic leadership of Jeremy Corbyn, um, strong people do not need strong leaders. Strong people do not need strong leaders. Now, these are the United Farm Workers of America, the UFW, undertaking a pilgrimage during their strike of 1966. They were joined by 8,000 workers on the last leg of their 350-mile pilgrimage as they entered the state capital. The California-based UFW organized boycotts to support their strikes and won major concessions from farm owners and, and an industry that had systematically prevented organizing in the fields for generations. The UFW was influenced for good and bad by the Alinsky model, and celebrations after its remarkable early successes must be accompanied by recognition of its later failings. And I'm sure that we'll uh, have another webinar on that at another time. Many Mexican women in California who joined the UFW in the 60s were uh, were already involved in community-based activism through the Community Service Organization for Latino Civil Rights. The, the racial discrimination and economic disadvantages they faced from a young age made it necessary to form networks of support to empower Latinos in America with voter registration drives, citizenship classes, lawsuits and legislative campaigns, and political protests against police brutality and, and immigration policies. It was this combination of trade unionism and civil rights activism that made the UFW unique. Now, a, a very famous activist called Jessica Gavea, one of the union's most powerful organizers, is, it, is in the center of the front row. Now, common features of organizing, there are many approaches to organizing and many trends that go with it. There are civil rights, workers' rights, environmental and community-based initiatives, but perhaps some common features are oppression or injustice, which represents a challenge, something that needs to be changed. Resistance is a response to the challenge, which is something other than mere endurance. Organising implies there is a strategy, but as we'll see, often the resistance and the nature of the injustice itself begin to shape a movement before a strategy becomes clearly defined. Attempting to create a mass movement one of the central divisions within organizing comes from the role of leadership with respect to individual agency. Marshall Gans, Marshall Gantz places the development of leadership among the masses as central to success as good leaders create more leaders. While some still believe that good leaders attract lots of followers, in either case, organizing requires numbers and actually having um, creating more leaders actually uh, reduces the workload on one individual person. Also, the transformation of, of the balance of power. Again, there are disagreements about this, but organizing seeks not just to win an individual demand, like votes for women, for example, but a substantial and long-term redistribution of power from the few to the many. And then one, of, one of the best features of organizing is success. It's not just about mere protesting. It's about winning and extracting concessions. Organizers weep when they see people going through ritualized behavior like signing a petition, calling a one day protest strike or picketing a council meeting without working out how these tactics take us forward towards a victory or victories. Doug McAdam, Douglas McAdam studied the rise and fall of the American freedom, the African-American freedom movement and developed what became known as political process theory or PPT political process theory you, you might want to um get yourself um, on a side note you, you might want to get a uh, a notepad and a pen so you can uh, write all these things down it's regarded as the uh, now ppt is regarded as the core theory of social movements and how they are able to affect change it was developed further by sociologists in america in the 70s and 80s in response to the civil rights anti-war women's lgbt plus and student movements during the 1950s, the African-American community was excluded from the political process by, by the Jim Crow laws, and there was no strategy for change, resulting in very little hope. That's not to say heroic work wasn't being done by people simply would not stay quiet and do nothing, but because, because work was being done at the time. Political opportunities or opportunities for intervention and change within the existing political system arise when the system experiences vulnerabilities. The change unleashed by the African-American civil rights movement was in part because political opportunities arose. One aspect of the Cold War between the, 
the US and the USSR was competition for the moral high ground with respect to human rights. The oppression of the Southern black community was an embarrassment for the US in this respect because it, it, it exposed the hypocrisy of the land of the free, which the civil rights movement could exploit to gain leverage and exploit it they did. On strategy of a local chapter, the NAACP, led by the trade unionist E.D. Nixon, was to convert the black church networks into organizing centers. According to the theory, pre-existing organizations serve as mobilizing structures for a social movement by providing membership, leadership and communication and social networks to the to the building movement. The church played this role in the early stages of the civil rights era, African-American freedom movement. And Martin Luther King he framed the essentially political struggle for justice as a fulfillment of the religious belief of many of the early participants. So religion did play a big role in, on that score. Now, now I'll talk about uh, mobilization theory and John Kelly. The UK academic John Kelly extended political process theory, PPT, to look at trade union struggles. He devised a set of principles and factors that are normally present in successful trade union mobilizations. It has to be a sense of injustice. People have to believe that they are not just unlucky or unfortunate, that they have to have been actually wronged. Now, attribution, someone has to be to blame. This is related to the first point, but unless you can hold someone responsible or something responsible, it's very difficult to see how things can change. We all complain about the weather, but no one has built a mass movement for a few rainy days, of course. Now, what's needed is a coherent and widespread counter narrative because Quite frankly, in this day and age, um, narrative building and counter narratives are all that really matters if we're going to achieve our goals. Describing a situation in a way that differs from the official version and disseminating this counter narrative effectively is one way in which the sense of injustice is shaped because everyone can articulate what's wrong. It becomes a widespread belief that A, things should change and A, things can change. And what's needed is a clearly articulated strategy. Very few people want to get involved in campaigns that have little or no chance of success. If you want me to add, as opposed to simply have any sympathy for your reduction, then, then the, the, the people we're trying to help need to know how and why their participation will help achieve the objectives. And the uh, potential participants need to feel they have the potential to win. The cost-benefit analysis also has to make sense. For example, if if Unite, for example, asks me to take one day of strike action with the, with the expectation that I will win a 10% pay rise, I'm going to have, have to be keen as, as we have to be some sort of incentive to do this. But if they want me to take 10 days of strike action in the belief that we may win a 1% pay rise, then I, for one, would think twice about uh, taking strike action if, I, if the uh, law of diminishing returns dictates that I won't get that bigger concession out, out the employer, just as an example. Mobilizing versus organizing uh, based on uh, the life, life's work of Jane McCallavy. Now, this is where things get a little bit complicated. Jane McCallavy makes a distinction between organizing and mobilizing, whereas John Kelly does not. Mobilizing is getting your existing base to shout a little louder. It works fine for small, for small wins, but it's not a transformational approach. Jane McCallavy's distinction, deep organising, is about transforming the power structure or tipping the balance of power back in the favour of the many by increasing far more people's participation levels, including those of the previously uncommitted. That's when a supermajority, something in the region of 80% support, you need to work with natural leaders who initially may well disagree with you. And this is the big distinction in, in the McCallavy, um blueprint for organising. Rather than train your most committed existing supporters to become leaders, you find organic leaders, those who already have other people's respect and confidence and turn them into your most committed supporters. Now, this is the most effective way to win the contested middle and achieve that supermajority. Now, Jane McCavley distinguishes between, ad, in, in deep organising, she distinguishes between advocacy, which is done by third party experts on behalf of the people affected by the injustice, mobilising, which involves maximising the activity of already committed activists who are often a minority or a bare majority, and deep organising, which places the agency for success with a continually expanding base of ordinary people in order to create a supermajority. Now, easy wins on small issues with little impact on the targets can be achieved without deep organising. 
but it's hard to know whether an issue is an easy win or is an easy win or not. Now, these are some questions that need to be asked before and during each campaign. If you can't answer these questions, your campaign is likely to fail or flounder. You need to be able to identify who holds the power, what leverage you have to challenge that power and, and create your own source of power. Now, in, in the next webinar, I hope to cover this in a little more detail. The approach to these questions can reveal the difference between transactional and transformational organizing. For example, suppose you're a trade unionist seeking a, a rise in pay, you might take one of two approaches. Say to the employer, we will agree up to a speed up of work or an increase in targets in exchange for an increase in pay. Now, this is transactional. You have something they want, higher output, and they have something you want, which is higher pay. But, but a transformational approach might mean recognizing the employer is taking a high profit, but paying low wages because they can get away with it. The reason being that we are not well organized. By recruiting people into the union and achieving a supermajority for action, we can say to the boss, give us a pay rise or we suffer a, a work stoppage. Suddenly the power relationship has changed. Now, I believe this is all I've got time for for now. And um, what, I, what I can recommend it, it, is checking out the Ella Baker School of Organizing and uh, and their series of webinars that they, that they do like um, two, three, maybe even four times a week. And um, what we'll do tonight is we're going to what I'll do is, is provide a few more details on what Ella Baker is all about. So, yeah, th thank you very much. Thanks very much for that, Jonathan. It was really interesting. It was interesting to see some of the history behind some of the movements, particularly behind the the, the black movements in a, in America and how they've how they managed to succeed. Um, very much reminds me of the Black Lives Matter movement that happened um, last summer, um, and hopefully it will continue on as well. Um, so, Jonathan, I'm so pleased that you managed to get in there a little bit about Jane McAlevey. She's one of my heroines, and I have her book here. It's called No Shortcuts, Organising for Power. And we have already got one of her videos on our channel. I'll ask Gaz if he can put the link um, down below for you. Um, so that if you get a chance to watch that, um, please do so, because she sets out very, very easily um, how to uh, mobilise and how to organise um, small little wins, which will add up to a big win um, in step-by-step -step instructions. Um, so that's really good. Another good book that I have is by Lisa Fithian. Um, she's American who was um, acclaimed during her time in the, uh, the movements outside Wall Street. Um, and it's called Shut It Down. And um, she puts in there, it's, it's a compilation of the many different campaigns that she's been involved in throughout her lifetime and what she did to organise, mobilise and win um, on, on those different successive uh, campaigns. So that's a really good one by Lisa Fidian. Um, so I can highly recommend those. Um, so, Jonathan, um, we only had uh, 20 minutes or so to hear mm. a, a little bit of all the introduction into organising and, and mobilising. Um, I'm sure there are people watching tonight who would like to go into that in more depth. Would, would, is there a possibility for us to do a part two on this? Absolutely, yes. I, I'd very much like to do a, a part two at the next opportunity and also introduce people to... Uh, um, not just a theory of organizing but also theory of change where um where we can actually find ways to actually put what we're doing in into practice and actually follow through not just be a protest yeah um and, and that's the thing isn't it um campaigns are not just about protesting and, mm -hmm. and demonstrating it is about winning and it's about organizing for winning um can you give any can you give us some hints and tips about how to organize or mobilize um efficiently well it, it really depends what where you are um like uh, in in, uh, in in my neck of the woods, we've already got some quite strong uh, community infrastructure. You see, but we've already got some um, some people who who I could easily identify as community leaders who, who are doing an, an awful lot at the moment uh, with a 
a, a homelessness project that that they're helping Syrian refugees, and I would have thought soon enough they're going to be helping Afghan refugees what, what, once they arrive, and um, hopefully that they'll uh, they'll take in a a good number before the uh, before August thirty first. Um, I would say that the, the best way to organize is to let the community lead and actually trust the community to, to make the right decisions that there are too many left left wingers at the moment who um, who don't think people know best and that really needs needs to be stamped out if if we're going to actually build connections w with people in the workplace and, and in the community and uh and existing trade unions are a good place to start, especially Unite Community. I think they'd be very much uh, in into uh, learning more about how to organise. Um, though the, the, the existing um, structures, especially in, in the top-down trade unions, can actually work against members as as well as um, working with them. Yeah, um, I've I've been probably i've said this quite a few times over the the months that we've been broadcasting on resistance tv as a as an ex-trade union um activist um i was out on the streets every saturday doing something um campaigning and trying to mobilize people within my area um for the sake of a better education for, for our children um but one of the things that used to um annoy me, um, let's say, was the fact that the big trade unions, they keep talking about how trade unionism um, membership is falling immensely. There's there's not enough people who know about trade union activism uh, or who will get involved um, with trade union activism. And um, I think the answer to that, which does need addressing, is the fact that all the big unions employ organizers, um, people who are fully trained and who, who can deliver on, on wins and they should be mobilizing them, not just within the workplace, but also within the communities. And I think it's that link between trade unionism and communities that is missing and is desperately needed. And because let's face it, um, you know, everybody who is in a workplace is also living in a community and they have, you know, communities have needs as well. And I think if people could see the strength that the union had in winning on issues, then they would be more likely to join a trade union within their workplace. I think it's, it works both ways. What's your opinion about that, Jonathan? I, I completely agree with you on that, actually. I, I think that... Um, what we're seeing with these smaller and newer trade unions like United Voices of the World and United Private Hire Drivers and uh, the App uh, Drivers and Couriers Union, um, I, I think the I think UPHD was uh, was merged into um, the latter union. I, I think what what we've got at the moment with, with the new trade unionism is very much like a grassroots form of trade unionism where um, uh, where the members are very much in, in control and and the bureaucracy is very small i think that the problem is that uh that the way that uh theory and, and political education is presented to uh, to potential activists and existing activists needs work i think that um it's it isn't always presented in a accessible and a digestible way it's, it's like um it's like like a, a, a quarterly edition of Independence of Marxism, for example, uh, as uh, as just what one one of the number of publications out there. It is wall to wall theory, and it, it can be hard to digest. I think that things like Resistance TV and the other Baker School and Independent Working Class Education uh, and, and other outlets actually presents it to people in a way that's accessible and it's digestible and actually works with them on their terms. I think that what we've got at the moment is actually uh, and, and if what we've got going at the moment can be expanded i think that um we can actually it uh, if this is a long-term thing really it's, it's a long-term thing trying to get people up to speed on theory and uh, because organizing without theory is it, just flying blind and theory without organizing is it, it, it's just useless 
Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, my dog was just barking away there because my husband's just come back in. Um, I think we'll go over to Lizzie now and see if we have any questions from the audience. Um, Lizzie, thanks for joining right. us again um, in Chris's absence. Um, um, have you got anything that you'd like to ask Jonathan before we go to um, audience questions? Right, well, um, audience questions are, are, are very short because everybody was so busy writing everything down. <laughs> There are a few jokes in comments about, uh, I've got writer's cramp now. <laughs> um, right now, strikes are effectively illegal in the UK um, because of the coronavirus, of course, the restrictions. Although I've, a lot of us think that that was a good excuse uh, by the government. But do unions, you know, we've got the law of uh, members consultation by post before any strike action could be taken. And that was how they got round the, the, with the COVID restrictions by saying that, of course, um, they had to limit post um, because of people's touching it, etc. So um, basically, there was no more, no, no strikes were allowed. Uh, do unions have to obey these laws? Um, is, isn't there a case to be made for surely laws are made to be broken you know if we never <laughs> broke any laws we wouldn't have women wouldn't vote um mm. you know there's all sorts of things that would still be happening slavery mm. would still be mm. okay well funny you should say that the um the trade union laws basically say that um that uh, if um uh, members aren't balloted in a certain way for example as as one of a number of of, of, of oppressive uh, Thatcherite union laws that, that Blair never um, repealed, of course. No, 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 no. And um, and the and the, the and trade unions face very hefty fines if they don't follow them. However, uh, going going on strike is actually the last resort. It's the, it's the nuclear option, really. Um, like like we've got um two industrial actions near me in Bexley Bin Workers and the and, and Woolwich Ferry Workers and they absolutely smashed the um the, the threshold with, with which to go on strike thankfully so, so they've they've actually managed to um have relatively some successful campaigns in, in fighting back against the bosses that the, the Thurrock Bin Workers in Essex is, is, is another example I think that um I think that um with Trade unions, they can. Um, the, the, there are a number of tactics that they can use to uh, to fight back against the uh, the bosses and, and, and just strike action, like uh, the Bexley bin workers uh, picketed uh, the, uh, the local council meeting. The fact that they actually managed to extract concessions from 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 the bosses, from Serco, from the council, from the from the police, and and managed to fight back against guess the police and the scabs and everyone like that and it is an overwhelmingly blue council and, and they still managed to do it and um it's important to employ a variety of tactics and and, and strike action and, and, and protests are only two of them actually finding un unconventional ways of uh of, of campaigning and actually uh, going through, through the community like, like the bexley bin workers did actually cultivating local support for their strike uh, in, in spite of the inconvenience caused to local residents, has actually uh, put them in very good stead. I'd like, I'd like to bring up also the, uh, the Labour Party's community organising unit. Um, that, no, I was just about to. Yes, yes. Yes, there was a very good article in Tribune about it. If, if, I think it was 2018 to 2021 it, it was active, but, but uh, before uh, the current Labour leader, whose name I can't say without spitting, um, uh sorry guys um the article the, was on yeah. the 16th of april 2020 something, i'll try and copy the link gaz i'll send it to you if you can put it in the chat please because mm, it's yeah, easier for you yes it was the, it, the tribune article about the community organizing it was, it was actually very very good it was and uh, and uh and it talked about how um about 20 to 25 people in it and that they were all ded dedicated organizers who had been there done that got the t-shirt to prove it and they um 
that they went, went around and they faced heavy resistance from the PLP, of course, and uh, they went around the country finding out about, about the local issues and actually uh, actually saying let, let's um let's be active not not just in parliament but also uh, outside let's take politics out out of parliament when actually parliament is the last place politics should be taking place when actually um when uh, the community organizing unit was saying that we should, we should have like a direct democracy uh, where, where where people are involved and one campaign was actually doing quite well before electoral politics became the priority was uh was saving a bus route in uh in yorkshire i believe it was and actually engaging the, the local residents um was was very successful but then of course um electoral priorities um were put first and the campaign sadly fell apart and um and all the all the goodwill that was built up was was sadly lost uh and, and it goes to show that and, and that uh, being active all year round and actually being present outside of elections and not just knocking on people's doors when when want their vote yeah, is actually going to create more goodwill and, and more and cultivate more support in the long term than any number of, ele of electoral <laughs> campaigns. Yes, and the 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 item I was going to bring up was almost exactly the same as yours. It was uh, to to save our bus services. And the, the first thing that was said when uh, Jeremy Corbyn sent out his uh, team of, of local community organisers and they arrived in Stroud, where I live, and they asked, uh, yes, but predominantly Labour activists, but of course, we dragged every other activist in. So it's the home of Extinction Rebellion. So we got all those on board and it's the home of Community R4C and uh, Council the Contract, which is was fighting against an incinerator for years that was imposed upon our community. So we're all used to community-led action. So, um, so these guys came out from Jeremy Clark, from Jeremy Corbyn's uh, central community organiser. Sorry, I was just doing an article on Clarkson being the envoy to India for trade after his Top Gear, <laughs> after his top gear efforts. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Right, well, we started when Jeremy Corbyn sent out his community organisers to address our concerns about our bus service. And we were told, first of all, make your goal achievable. So it's got to be something that's achievable and local and concerns local people. So we decided, we, we asked everybody present, you know, there were probably uh, 30 people present in the first meeting. Um, everybody had different ideas, but the most common was the bus service. It's, it's truly atrocious. Well, so of course, this was in 2019, in early 2019. So then, like you say, uh, efforts got swapped over for the Labour activists to the election. And um, so we did, it could have dissipated, but it didn't because we're all, we're all pretty much, you know, I don't know what we are, but we're a different breed in Stroud. We just don't let go. So we continue to fight locally and um about three weeks ago um we won back all our bus services from slave coach yeah right um i call them slave coach because they're a horrible employer for the for the mm. bus drivers and the staff not just for the people that try to ride on their dilapidated old buses while mm. the owner sits in his castle in scotland mm. um Yes, so and we got um, the the restoration of Sunday services, which all had been withdrawn except for one, um, and we got better connections to train and rail links, you know, and you know from one bus to another bus to get somewhere because your your journey is going to be two parts all the time, and uh, because we're in the middle of nowhere, and <laughs> hmm. um, also got an under nineteen cheap bus pass. Fantastic. So we, we were absolutely chuffed with it. And it just goes show, to show that somebody in comments said um, it's all about grassroots mutual aid. Well, yes, it is. It, it, it's about from the ground up, isn't it? It's not. Mm -hmm. And that leads me on to the next question, 
was will unite community exist now i, hope so. I, I, I sincerely hope Secretary. so i i sincerely hope so um well she said she'll concentrate on workers yes so that that means that community is of course uh, the the retired the well not just the retired because the retired have their own group but mm. um the disabled the vulnerable mm. the out of work Yes. Know, so yes. Lots of people are worrying. Yeah, and understandably, I, I I do sincerely hope that that uh, the you know community is kept intact, and if it isn't, then um, then there's some sort of outlet for all people you've mentioned to have a vehicle with which to organise. Uh, that actually uh, Liz, you, you raised an important point about um uh, about sharon graham in in light of especially in light of such a low turnout i think in like 10 like 10 percent of the membership voted something like that yes i think i think it was even lower than that perhaps my goodness and, um, yeah that a lot of people have been saying that um of course they they're saying they didn't receive ballots so those who are politically aware or who are politically active emailed to, to because this this concern was raised in unite yeah so um they were all told to email in for a ballot mm. so a lot of people did email in for a ballot but mm. of course those who aren't politically active in the in the workplace one guy said that he works with three other people and those other three didn't get a ballot and wow. of course they weren't politically active so they didn't get a ballot they didn't email for to request so they didn't mm. Mm. I, I, this, this brings up a, a very interesting point about the, uh, the downsides to Sharon Graham's uh, albeit successful campaign that, that actually it's, it's extremely unwise to depoliticize material demands when actually material demands are our political demands but by default and trying to take the politics out of it will leave will leave the field open for uh, for other influences to uh, to take hold. Of. The fact of the matter is that, that when somebody says they want to, they don't want politics involved in something, what they usually mean is, it, 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 they don't necessarily mean they don't want politics involved, they just don't want left-wing politics involved. Yeah. And, and actually, I think that uh, as uh, as, Laura, uh, as Laura Pidcock said at some um, um the Durham miners got two years ago the thing to do is to take it um, is to take our politics with us everywhere we go and to fill every space with them without fear or favor well and the, yes that's a, a been a problem uh for for me bringing up uh youngish children into adulthood is that um the the word socialist is a is a dirty word and um we are encouraged by the establishment hmm. to to be yuppies uh, then to be generation x then to be social hmm. climbers or whatever it's called consumers and we are if if we say that we want everybody to have a, have a nice life uh, then we're we're labeled as as dirty greasy hippies or whatever aren't we so Thank it's, it's been really difficult to educate my own children um, mm. on on the with no support whatsoever because of course you know nobody can dare mention uh, socialism or, or left left politics because it's it's been so smeared. We do have another question as well. As a Socialist mm. Party member, this is from Mark Anderson, we're uh -huh. experiencing a lot of interest from the youth in socialist Ooh, issues. Excellent. But a current lack of ongoing commitment to engage consistently, you know, from, from the youth, I assume this is. How can we change this? How can we get them engaged? Well, I think Extinction Rebellion have shown us exactly how to mm. get them engaged, hasn't it? I think Extinction Rebellion have actually done done um, have done a lot of um, good in, in engaging people in politics. I think that the way that we present um, socialism to people um, is is 
it's as much a helper as it is a hindrance because socialism is after all the workers controlling the means of production it isn't just it isn't just being a a, a decent human being um and i think that uh, the, like like i said the way that that it's presented to youth um is important it's the rank and i think it's um Kim Moody's rank and file strategy can be applied not just to the workplace, but also to grassroots activism, because the, the LF media isn't is never going to be as big or as strong as 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 the Murdoch machine, for example, as, as much as we'd like it to be. But because we don't have the people, don't have the time, don't have the resources. Um, but what we can do is actually spread the message um, in in the workplace, in in the community, actually actually educating young people especially we should absolutely be targeting young people about uh, about socialism and what it actually is not not what we think it is and, and not what the not what the uh, and not not what the likes of the guardian tell us it is <laughs> and um and actually uh kim moody's rank and file strategy can be applied here where, where we do this ourselves and 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 drip feed it rather than just um it, it isn't any use coming across as preachy it isn't use it isn't any use yeah. just burying people in, in information actually uh presenting it in a way that there is accessible and digestible it never makes uh the target never makes the target audience feel that they're being talked down to i, I think is the key to yeah. success yeah make a suggestion and uh, let them go away and think about it and ask them why they think they're right. And I think that uh, actually just planting a seed, um, just like uh, giving, them, giving them one little tidbit to think about rather than a deluge of information that it, that, um, that will likely go over their heads, I think is actually, actually saying, this is, here's one idea. How about the workers control the means of production? Let's let's leave it at that. And actually, that could be, and depending on who we're talking to, of course, it can actually be just as effective, if not more so, than um, than anything else. Yeah. Well, we've got another question. The unite result was based on a ten percent turnout. Mm. Does that constitute a mandate? Under electoral rules, yes. However, it's a symptom of even bigger problems with, with the union movements, how, how just how disengaged people feel, just how, how top down the union is. And yeah. uh, and I fear that, that that's not going to change anytime soon. I think um, if the, the the sizes of the big three unions, uh, big bureaucracies in, it, in it's anything to go by, hopefully, um, the, the ongoing witch hunts in the Labour Party will, will actually overstretch itself if, if it hasn't overstretched itself already and actually uh, some start going for um, big Unite names actually and hopefully and hopefully Sharon Graham will stick to what she's um, pledging and actually to actually take United away from the party. Fingers yeah. crossed. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not holding my breath yet because it's early days. Uh, it's BF, sorry, the BFAWU. Yes, yes. Um, my they, understanding, they, yes. Their general secretary is just being threatened with expulsion. Unbelievable. Uh, yes, and um, it they've been they were the instigators of the Labour Party in nineteen nineteen, was it? Nineteen twenty-one. six, I believe it was when the uh, when the LRC became the Labour Party. When like the um, when the Liberal Labour and MPs finally split from the Liberal Party. Yeah. I believe it was in 1906 um, when the Labour Party finally, and as we know it, came into being. Yeah, uh, the, the Unite election is, is, is a bit of a funny one because um, I think that um, what was so good about Sir Sharon's campaign what was she was that she took things back to basics she, she basically took things back to workplace demands and um and it's good that uh, that members saw through uh, the, the fact that, that gerald coin was an establishment plant and i also saw through um how weak uh, steve turner's campaign was and actually i think that um uh 
really, the, the organising unit was a, yes. a union within a union anyway, wasn't it? Lemma mm, Gusty, Sharon yeah, Graham, all yes. the power and, anyway. And, and, and Sharon Graham didn't, didn't really have the union machine behind her and, uh, and Steve Turner did. And I, I, I like to think, I, I for one saw through it. Yes. I, I, do, I do still think that that unites uh, unite for one uh, well the world doesn't well, the whole world doesn't revolve around unite of course but I do think that um, unite at least uh, and uh, I'm sure this is um, the same applies to unison and GMB and the and the movements in general that still have a long way to go before they can properly engage people as much as we'd like I, I, I do think that um, going on, on the union recruitment drives um, can be can be so useful but but i do think like um that the likes of um the, the new unions like cleaners and allied independent workers and united voices of the world and uh the App drivers and couriers union have a lot more going for them and, and as, as far as grassroots organizing is concerned even if they are small groups i yeah. think that, that i think that they're very much the way forward and i'm putting the rest of the movement to shame Yes, yeah, I, I agree with that, Jonathan. I think some of the bigger unions have become too big and too wieldly um, to actually operate properly, and the leadership are too far removed from the shop floor, um, and they don't, they don't, they just don't understand the needs of of their members. Um, you know, there's so much that Unite and Unison and GMB should be fighting for, and and they're just not. Um, I, I used to be in the NUT, which is now the National Education Union. They um, amalgamated with the ATL um, about two years ago now. And, um, you know, again, I think they've gone the same way. They've, um, they've become um, too removed from the membership. There's far too many union staff um, working when, you know, there should be more workers working within the trade union because they know what they're talking about they know what yeah. the real issues are um but to you know for a for a member for a so for example for a, for a teacher to actually become um, a member of staff within the union is a very very rare thing and i would think that's the, very much the same within uh, other trade union movements yeah. um um and you know you get people who are in charge who haven't got a clue what it's like on the shop floor i mean um i don't want to drop any names or anything but um one of one of the uh, regional managers um for the neu had was not a teacher he never came from oh. a teaching background um and um i think he was from the civil service um and um you know he just didn't get the issues um yeah okay you can learn a few bits here and there and um you know give a good talk but at the end of the day he's not been a teacher and he doesn't understand what it's like being in the classroom and what it's like being at the chalk face and i think that's the same for for all the industries so i think for sm these smaller unions that are now starting to spring up i think they're going to have much more success i mm. totally agree with that mm. yeah I, I think the same can be applied to community organizing too i think that actually having uh yes. reps who, who are who are actually it's, it's, it's probably best if organisers do stick to the local area where they're in rather than be, being transferred across the country because lo lo local organisers will know the issues. Getting a bit of echo, I think. Um, I'll turn my sound off. Okay. Whereas the, the local organisers know the issues, they feel a deep connection to the area, like I feel I've decided to stick to, to organising locally where I'm at. I'm big, big because I have a better idea of the issues. I, I mean, how's, how's it going to look um, uh, if uh, if I were to do what what I did in during the election campaign and, and uh, travel travel lo long distances to, to other constituencies to to campaign? That that, that I, I don't know the people. I don't know the issues. This was a different time, of course, when I still believed in the mission of the Labour Party and actually still believed in reformism. So there we go. I, another conversation entirely um and actually and cultivating organizers who do have a local presence who are, who can be identified as local community leaders um 
whether whatever their, their political affiliation actually that the fact that they're the community is, is is reason enough to uh to get behind them and and to work with them you see and so i'm i'm lucky enough to have some existing a community infrastructure where i'm at so, and some some parts of the country what well, i'm sure you've been there um aren't as as lucky to have um people you could identify as natural leaders and, and obviously that's that's going to take more work yeah, I, ju I just want to bring up one more point um about trade union organizing as a branch as a former branch secretary um in my area i tried to um tap into some tuc organizer training because i felt that it would help me organize better within my area and you try getting on a TUC organiser training course, you've got no chance unless you're actually employed by a trade union. So they're automatically excluding people yeah. um, from those from that training. Um, and again, I, you know, I think the TUC and other trade unions are mm. putting the noses off there. Yes, yes I, my recent experience with the TUC was that uh, locally was that they were they were holding a very interesting talk that I was very interested in about uh, supporting Palestine with uh, boycott, divest and sanctions, BDS. And um, <clears throat> I asked if I could attend their meeting. Uh, it was on Zoom. And they said, well, you can because you're a member of TUSC trade union and socialist coalition wow. but we don't want you advertising it on facebook then uh, the point of that uh, i know i know, petty, I know. petty squabbles um mm. continuing the division that the establishment forced on us pushed on us and um it propagates every day, daily doesn't it you know that we mm. must all be against each other and not directing our attention to the people over there who are actually to blame you know mm. and that's why when we keep our fights small or i won't say small they're quite big fights but local or within our communities that's why we can identify those at fault then can't we Mm -hmm. yes they're, when they're removed to the to the leadership of of whatever union um then then there's no way that you can even touch them because those leaders of those unions are now the bosses of that mm -hmm. structure aren't they charities are the same charities and unions are now self-sustaining um they 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 raise funds to pay their wages Mm -hmm. uh, and to keep their lives how they how they want them to live mm -hmm. you know they're not about anything other than that anymore mm -hmm. just let me look through the uh the comments um should we try to introduce grassroots mutual aid y yes mm -hmm. I, I i for one think we should i think that uh, actually um, grassroots mutual aid it, it is uh very, very much part of uh building solidarity and building community and actually um keeping keeping in touch with each other and, and i think that um that that's uh it's a good shout whatever happens to internationalism when the unions get nervous about encouraging localism that the problem is that um that under thatcherite trade union laws um the uh, unions are not allowed to go on not allowed to go on solidarity strikes so what yeah. when he uh, not allowed to support each other i'm, I'm afraid um so like when a union goes on strike the, the others aren't allowed to join them which is uh pretty awful and of course as i've mentioned um uh Blyer ne never lifted one finger to, to repeal those laws yeah. uh, no in fact uh, tony blair made them worse um he, oh. you know he, you know they they did make them worse um, I'm afraid, Jonathan, we're going to have to wind up okay. now and, yeah, um, because we're getting close to the top of the hour. Um, I want to say thanks again to Jonathan for joining us this evening. And I really look forward to uh, part two um, and seeing how we yeah, can put some of this theory in. into action. Sorry, Lizzie, go on. Get your questions in, put them in comments and we'll pick them up afterwards on the Facebook page or the mm. YouTube channel.
Absolutely. Um, so thanks once again. And Lizzie, if we don't see you next week, happy birthday for next week. Hope you'll all join me in wishing Lizzie um, a lovely birthday next Wednesday. Um, we'll be back next week. And um, I want to thank you for joining us once again. Thank you for all your comments. Please do share this video. Um, I think it's very informative and it does help to grow the channel. So thanks again and see you next week.